0: Of golden light, I watch as this light begins to grow larger and larger until now it covers the entire vision of my mind. We see within this light a beautiful temple. We see a garden that surrounds the temple and a body of water that flows through the garden. We see that inside of this temple it is lit by the same beautiful golden light, and we are here. For we have been drawn here by the power and in the presence of God. We dedicate our days and our relationships and our experiences to you. May your spirit, which is within us, so guide our thoughts and our feelings and our perceptions of all things that we might grow into happier, more peaceful, more loving human beings, illumine our minds, illumine our lives. (laughs) Whenever a fairy tale is told, it becomes night. No matter where the dwelling, no matter the time, no matter the season, the telling of tales causes a starry sky and a white moon to creep from the eaves and hover over the heads of the listeners. Sometimes, by the end of the tale, the chamber is filled with daybreak. Other times, a star shard is left. Sometimes, a ragged thread of a storm sky. And whatever is left behind is our bounty to work with, to use towards soul-making." That's a quote by Dr. Clarissa Estes. She's a depth psychologist and a storyteller. When I was little, I loved fairy tales. Wicked witches, dragons, magical elves, and especially talking pigs. Yep. I vividly remember reading Charlotte's Web when I was in third grade and realizing that for the rest of my life that I would love reading and that I too, like Wilbur, through all of life's difficulties, be okay. I didn't know this as a child, but stories reveal the universal qualities of the human condition. They're embedded with instructions that are guised as magical solutions that guide us through the complexities of life. When we find our way back to enchantment, we find our way home to our own heart space. Everyone has a story. At any given time or place, in any town, or a village, a castle, a cave, a porch. People might be playing tunes, fiddles, maybe a Manhattan balcony, a story's being told. And through the sharing of stories, both individually and collectively, people share their own uniqueness like tapestries woven from person to person, family to family, they just shared down generation to generation. Technologies altered the way that stories are passed on. Rare is the night when stories are shared beside a village campfire and rarer still are the folks who rely on a shaman to explain the mysteries of life. But even in these data-driven times stories, especially through the theater and cinema, continue to dazzle us, and they're still a compelling source of entertainment and excitement. I used to wonder, what is it with story? Why is this? Why are we so drawn to stories? Like, Why is it that when I was a teacher, the only time that the kids were quiet was when I was reading a story? It was the only time they were quiet. Why do we cry at the movies? Why do we cry when we're on the phone and a friend is sharing on and on their tears of something horrible that happened to them or something they're really excited about? Sam Keane, author and colleague of Joseph Campbell, offers this explanation. Everyone has a fascinating story to tell, an autobiographical myth. And when we tell our stories to one another, we at one and the same time find the meaning of our lives. We're healed from our isolation and our loneliness, and it's almost as though we don't know who we are until we hear ourselves speaking the drama of our lives to someone that we trust to really listen with an open heart and an open mind. The great works of literature and poetry and the messages of all the world religions live in story. They explore all the ideas about birth and death and obligations and health and wealth and on and on and on and on. But here's where it gets really interesting. The dictionary defines myth as, quote, traditional narrative usually involving supernatural or imaginary people embodying popular ideas about natural or social phenomenon, unquote. This modern definition still uses the term imaginary, like um, Zeus throwing a, a thunderbolt. We still use the term myth as false or an imaginary story. However, perhaps a true myth is not a false or imaginary story at all, but rather a sacred term that our culture chooses not to value. Author Bill Plotkin states, a myth is, in a sense, the very truest of stories, a story that reveals the deeper meanings and possibilities for our lives. And if this is true, then story takes on a whole new importance. Indigenous cultures know this intuitively. Angelus Arian, a cultural anthropologist who was a teacher of mine, tells that in shamanic societies, if a person came complaining being disheartened, being dispirited, or depressed, they would ask one of these four questions. One, when did you stop dancing? Two, when did you stop singing? Three, when did you stop being enchanted by stories? And four, when did you stop finding comfort in the sweet territory of silence? I could share my own personal story with you. You could share your story with me. I have lots of stories, and I tend to babble on and on and on. As a matter of fact, one time I was babbling on and on and on about something, and my boyfriend, God bless him, said, I do want to know. I just don't want to hear about it. LAUGHTER I've learned that strangers have more in common than one could ever imagine. We've all suffered loss, heartache, joy, despair, loneliness. And when people tell their story and speak from their heart, it's almost as if, like Marion Williamson says, there's really only one of us here. Last Sunday, Sandy Gibbons shared his brilliance and knowledge of Tolkien with us. His insight helped me comprehend the whole Tolkien, Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, ugh, the horrible ugh, people with those horrible people. Never, never liked that story till I heard Sandy talk last week. Um, honestly, really, because the bad guys are really bad. Ugh, the, the teeth, the bad teeth. I don't like the teeth. So what I learned from Sandy's message last week, and I was reminded as the listener, that we share in all the archetypes of all the characters in all the stories, the good guys and the bad guys. And so therefore, we share in the despair of Gollum, who was the really bad, unfortunate soul, and we also share in the courage of the heroes like Frodo and Sam. So I want to explore the archetypes in one of my very favorite stories with you, which is Beauty and the Beast. Hopefully, you're familiar with it. Um, In the beginning, there's an old witch who's an enchant... I can never say this. Enchantress. And she appears to the prince, and she changes him into a horrific beast to teach him the moral lesson and the importance of inner beauty. And then there's Belle, the archetypal heroine who sacrifices herself in exchange for her father's freedom. She helps and guides and steers the beast toward a path of kindness and shows him the way to properly treat people. Through her, the beast learns how to have respect and kindness towards others, how to love, what it feels like to be loved, but most importantly, he learns how to feel accepted for who he truly is. In a profound and magical way, Belle brings out the hidden beauty of his very soul and his heart. And in the end, the curse is broken, and he's transformed back into a handsome prince. So I'm going to push the pause button here, so we can look a little bit more carefully at the genesis of this conflict in this tale. So it starts with this beast who was once very handsome, spoiled, he was a prince, but he's fueled by his anger and frustration of living with his mistakes. So he lives in a lonesome and dark castle. He projects the anger that he feels towards himself, towards others, and then more conflict arises. So here's where it gets really tricky. What is projection? So I'm not a psychologist, and I don't play one on TV, and this is my understanding of the way that this works. When we identify qualities in others that we're denying in ourselves, it's called projection. Projection. We project outward the parts of ourselves that are unconscious, that we're not aware of. All of the feelings, the beliefs, the personality traits that we just don't want to look at. We don't even want to claim them as our own. We're just basically unaware of them. Don't even know we have them. Matthew Fox elaborates. Projection is the refusal to let be, to let others be different, be surprising, be themselves, the refusal to let be comes from an inner refusal to let oneself be with oneself. The essential spiritual gift that's learned from solitude. It's when we're so dissatisfied with being ourselves and so not at home with our deepest self that we're always projecting onto others our ways, our attitudes, our fears, and our disappointments. So the beast isn't the only one that does this. I do this. We do this. We do it all the time. Have you ever encountered a person who just plucks on your last nerve? I mean, like, uh, You know, that person or that situation that evokes a strong reaction, like it's almost like a knee jerk. You don't even have to think about it. It's just, uh, You know, the person... And uh, it's, you just get triggered into this like automatic response, and it's usually you know accompanied by a very strident judgment about that person or situation, like, geez, you know that person is whoop, that person is so opinionated, like who does he think he is, or she's so critical, I would never be like that, <sighs> or. This is my favorite. He's such a know-it-all. He's such a know-it-all. I just can't stand him. Why do we do this? I mean, maybe people are really kind of awful, you know? <laughs> like, why do we do this? So, I begin to ask myself, what is it I don't like about that person? I mean, what is it I really don't like about that person, and why do they drive me so crazy? And in what ways might this person or situation remind me of something from my past? So we all have a variety of memories. We all have these events and situations that where we felt the angst of uncomfortable emotions. And so we just tucked them away into this little place where we don't have to deal with them. You can call it the shadow or your unconscious. And it warehouses all of these things, all of the unacceptable parts. And eventually these characteristics sort of take on... A, a life of their own, and they're they're constantly in contact with our inner inner critic. So that's you know where it kind of comes up. Ironically, when we decide to kind of put these things away so we don't have to look at them, we also put away a lot of our, our, our wonderful parts. So our conscious mind is like a, like an island, where the parts that we're aware of, you know, we kind of set up this world where we have our own separate rules and it, it determines how we perceive our reality. So we accept people in situations as they are. We stop resisting what is, and we stop trying to make it be what we want it to be. So we kind of give up trying to control what isn't ours to control in the first place. So I'm going to come back to Beauty and the Beast, but I want to share a story about someone in my own life who continues to be a hero to me in my story in my life and it's my son. So 36 years ago the public school system didn't have any knowledge of autism, nothing like like it is today and um, he was and he continues to be a brilliant person But one time when he was around five years old, he was watching his father use a chainsaw to cut down some old trees, and he went over to him and he said, Ed, you never called him daddy because when you have a child with special needs like this, you pick your battles, so if you didn't want to call him daddy, that's fine. So he went over to him and he said, Ed, when you're done using your baton for your symphony of destruction, can I have a word with you? Another time, he was stung badly by a yellow jacket on, in his hands, and he perseverated as these kind of children tend to do. And he went on and on and on, and he you know, why it happened and how much it hurt and this and that. And then it got real quiet in the room, and um, so I thought I'd better go back in and check on him and you know make sure he's all right because by this point he had stopped crying. So he was kind of rocking back and forth, and he had both of his hands like this up, up against his ears. And I asked him, um, what are you doing? And he said, shh, I'm listening to my hands heal. <laughs> so the school system labeled him as severely emotionally disturbed and sent him to Forbush School which is a part of Shepherd Pratt Hospital, which if you're not from around here, it's basically a mental institution. His odd behaviors kept him isolated from other children. All he knew was that the school bus came, and he would be sent to a dark and lonely castle every single day, and that the other children in the neighborhood were never, ever sent there, ever. So when the Disney movie, Beauty and the Beast, came out, I was really excited to take my kids. And my one son was probably eight or nine by this time. And at the end of the movie, when the Beast transforms into a a, a charming prince, my son started crying. And he just wouldn't stop. I mean, he just um, cried and cried, and I, I couldn't calm him down. So we went out to the car... And I kept asking him, you know, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? And he could barely get the words out, but through his exhausted, angry tears, he said, why couldn't they have left him be? Why couldn't he stay a beast? Why did he have to turn into a human? Why didn't she love his beastiness? So in other words, what hurt my son and what caused him his sorrow was the question, will I still be loved if I never change? And now, 27 years later, this is the question I ask myself the most. Could it be that Beauty and the Beast isn't just a tale of redemption and courage for Belle and the Beast together, But couldn't it also be the quintessential tale and journey of self-love? That the beast and bell, bell could be parts of the same soul, one soul with all the qualities, the good and the bad. So the beast might represent all that we reprehend and criticize within ourselves, the qualities we want to keep in the shadow, the parts of our past or our present that we wish we could change, The events that we can't bear to remember, the faults, things we wished we had done differently, and we would have done differently if we could have. We take all these qualities and we put them in the shadow or a dungeon, as it were. And then along comes Belle, who represents our most loving self, the part of us that's whole and compassionate and wise. And this soul-filled aspect that we all have within ourselves has the capacity to love all the qualities in us, the good and the bad. All the parts. Because this part of who we are is compassion. And compassion doesn't judge. It just accepts and it loves. It doesn't judge. So beauty looks at the beast with all his ugliness and bad qualities and his fur and his beastiness, as my son would have said, and she just loves him. Like one soul. They represent you. They represent me. Just everything we have inside of ourselves dwelling at the same time. So it appears that when we know our own darkness, we can be present with the darkness in others. We can commit to practice loving kindness with ourselves first and others We shift from wanting others to change so that we don't have to deal with our negative feelings, and we begin to be responsible for our own feelings. It's about being self-aware. Finally, it isn't easy to confront darkness wrestling with the idea that there's actually more to this place than what we see on the surface of things. I I even had an employer say to me once, DJ, you make me think too much. She really did say that. But looking deeply within is not intellectual. It's a journey from the head to the heart. In the times that I've been willing to accept my faults and just get out of the way, I have felt lighthearted and free. I just need to get out of my own way sometimes. And I can choose to experience life through a whole new lens, or as Aladdin would say, a whole new world. And that's when the transformation comes. And believe me, it's magical. Because instead of looking for love outside myself, I become more loving. Someone once said to me, you don't have to work so hard to be loved. And over time, that statement really changed me. Like, what a relief. You know what I mean? I can just be who I am. (sighs) You know, I don't have to work so hard. And by the way, if you don't see the negative qualities in yourself or any of your, you know, stuff in the shadow, you can just ask the people in your family (laughs) or the people you work with. They might be able to help you out with that a little bit. I appreciate darkness now, even though it's so hard to look at. For the possibilities that it offers to view a bigger picture, a bigger story, and if I read this story wisely, I begin to appreciate the strength and compassion that lie within all of us. So in conclusion, I have a beautiful quote from Jack Kornfield that I would like to share with you. There's a place within each of us that is the source of fearlessness, compassion, integrity, It is this place that inspires us to reach out a hand of comfort to a friend, to intervene, to prevent the infliction of pain upon another. It's this place that grieves at the pain in the world and rejoices in the happiness and love that is found. Our opportunities for love, forgiveness, and reverence are manifold. Let's remember that each time we respond with love, like Belle, We create a world of peace and integrity, and every response is worthy, and every response is significant, and each one makes a difference. This is um, from the Irish author John O'Donoghue. May you listen to your longing to be free, May the flames of your belonging be generous enough for your dreams. May you arise each day with a voice of blessing whispering in your heart. May you find harmony between your soul and your life. May the sanctuary of your soul never become haunted. May you know the eternal longing that lives at the heart of time. May there be kindness in your gaze when you look within. May you never place walls between the light and yourself. And may you allow the wild beauty of the invisible world to gather you, mind you, and embrace you in belonging.